All right. Well, gang, we're in James chapter 5. Most of you know if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to loan you one. You just have to raise your hand real high, and the ushers will be happy to let you borrow Bible so you can follow with us. Making our way through. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and as such, we're going to have a time of communion at the close of our service. It's going to be a little bit uh, different in that we're picking up, in a sense, in the middle of a verse. Um, you know, we've been making our way systematically through the book of James and really through the Bible, just book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So, uh, if you've been around, you know that's just the way that we roll here. But if you missed the teaching from last week, I encourage you to check it out. Our podcast and live stream, it's archived there. And, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll retread a little bit and give some context. I think it's always important that we do that. But if you're there with me, I'm going to invite you to stand. James chapter 5, I'm going to read the verses aloud. You can follow in your Bible. I'll read all of verse 15 just to, uh, again, help keep some context of what James has been talking about. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And then he adds, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James goes on to say, Confess your trespasses or your faults or your your, uh, your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then he cites Elijah as an example for us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. All right, we're going to pause there. Those last two verses we'll cover next Sunday. Uh, but let's take a moment and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that leads us and guides us to your truth. God, I imagine that we've come into this place with various concerns and worries, frustrations and fears. Lord, each of us has a different bag, so to speak, that we're holding. And we thank you that your invitation to all of us is to leave those things at the foot of the cross where really they belong. That we might get our eyes off of ourselves and unto you. And trust, Lord, that regardless of where we're at in our walks with you, that you have something you want to say. There's some truth, some freedom, some release you want to give us, that we'd experience your grace in a greater way. And so, Father, I pray you would speak to our hearts, give us ears to hear, and a heart that yields. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right. Would you take a moment, please? You know the routine. Say hello, greet a neighbor, introduce yourself to somebody new. All right, so it's already December. Crazy, right? I, this, this year, I think I've said it every time there's been a new month. It just seems like it's flying by, at least for me. Um, although I am excited, I'm excited for the next year, and as I think about December as it came for me, what it means for me is i got to get started on my New Year's resolutions. 
that I made in January. Uh, like, no time like the present, I say. <laughs> it's like that meme, you're going to be like, oh, I wanted to lose 15 pounds, but I have 25 to go. That, that's me. That's me. This past year, I made some personal goals, um, improve just different areas of my life, wanted to be intentional about uh, being a better reader and consuming more books and personal growth, and so just my mental health, and I felt good. God's given me grace in that area. I, I wanted to grow spiritually, even though I get to serve as a pastor, but in my own walk, I wanted to grow closer to the Lord and have more time of prayer and some spiritual disciplines, even for me, and grateful for God's grace in my life in that. Uh, one area that, uh, uh, I, that I didn't do so well is physically. I wanted to have more activity and eat better and I started off well, but I think by February that was done, you know, so. Now I know that many of you know the importance of being physically healthy. Uh, many of you, just by nature of your job, it's a necessity, right, to be physically fit and you give a lot of attention and time to that, and I envious of you. Uh, and of course, uh, health and, and wellness extends beyond just our physical condition. It's very important, I think, especially um, as we've discovered with coming out of COVID and all the stressors of life and those being amplified in many ways of how our mental health and wellness is very important. Our emotional health and wellness is very important and vital for us. And along with those things, I, I do think and I submit to you that just as important and perhaps even more important is our spiritual health. And as we come to this passage here in James, uh, it's, it's a, an area that James, he touches upon. And he makes what I, at least for me, it's a curious connection between our physical well-being, as he's talking about being sick, as he's talking about suffering, as he's talking about experiencing joy, and then he adds into that equation, if you will, sin. And the connection between our physical well-being, and maybe even add our emotional well-being and our mental well-being, and how that's connected then to our spiritual well-being. Because essentially what he directs us to do, what he prescribes for us to do, is a spiritual activity. Remember back in verse 13, he says, if you're suffering, and we unpack that to say that's not just emotional suffering or physical suffering, that, that's suffering on any level, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. What are we to do? James says we're to pray. Right? That, that's that's directing us to a spiritual response to something that's happening in our life. And so there's a spiritual prescription there. What, what do we do when things are going great? Well, it's also to pray, right? It's to praise. It's to, to rejoice in that. What are we to do when we're sick? We're feeling down and discouraged. We're injured. We're ill. Well, James also directs us to something spiritual. Certainly there's times where we should and seek medical uh, you know, help and medical care, but he adds that we're also to pray, we're called for the spiritual elders to come and pray and lift us up. And so it's a spiritual prescription to these physical things, and, and James adds to that. And we stopped short last week at verse 15, and so this is where we pick up, and it's, 
And it's a curious connection to me that he adds sin to this list. If you're suffering, if you're cheerful, if you're sick, if you're in sin. And the prescription is still the same. We're to come to the Lord and bring that to the Lord. And so we'll finish out verse 15 and 16. We'll consider why he chose Elijah. At least I'll offer you some idea, the possible reason he picks Elijah as an example for us. But let's go back to verse 15, that last part. He says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Plain and simple. Listen, prayer, as we've been directed, not only is it for us as a means to experience relief and healing from our physical and our mental and our emotional uh, condition, but also it's a prescription of healing from sin. And Chris, we make sense that what do we do with that when we're in that place? Well, we're to confess to the Lord. We're to repent. We're to come to God as God shows that in our life and reveals that in our life, then we pray. Now, it's curious to me that he adds that to this discussion about how we're not feeling well or how we're feeling great or we're not doing well. Now, research has already shown, right? Science has already demonstrated to us that our holistic health, your overall well-being, it is directly uh, impacted and influenced by every component of our health that our physical well-being has influence in our mental well-being, and our mental well-being has impact to our our physical well-being and our emotional well-being. They're all interconnected, and one area impacts and influences the other area. Of How stress, when we have stress, and how it can manifest in physiological and and physical type of ailments. For feeling emotionally down. If you're like me, when I'm emotionally down, I don't have a lot of physical energy. There's not a lot I want to do. And then, you know, then my mind then it plays mind games with me. Then all of a sudden I find that my, my mental health isn't good. I'm thinking weird things and all these negative thoughts. And it's not just science, it's biblical. Paul, inspired of God's Spirit, writing to the, the Thessalonica church in 1 Thessalonians 5:23. He says, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Here's what he says. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The idea is to bless you holistically. In every part of your life, that your whole spirit and your soul and your body, that that will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that practically, don't we? We're not feeling well in one area. It affects our health in other areas. The writer of Proverbs, various passages, tells us the same. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Not only for feeling down, does it affect one area, but also for feeling uplifted, encouraged one in area. How that can also, you know, bring vitality to other parts of our life. That's why physical exercise is so important for our mental health and our and our emotional health. 
But again, they all impact each other. Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and brings healing to the body. You know, last week, if you were with us, we talked about uh, a biblical worldview. And why do we suffer? And how does, why, why is there sickness? And we talked about how God will use and leverage those things in our life to bring us closer to Him. But essentially, why there is sickness in this world is because of the fallout that happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve blew it, when they disobeyed God, sin entered into the equation. And it corrupted creation. And that is why today we have disease and decay and death. It is all the fallout of sin. And sin today still retains its nature. It is corruptive. It is corrosive. It will permeate. Paul likens sin unto leaven or yeast and how it just infects and it permeates every part of our life. And that's true of our body and our well-being. I have friends and family members, I imagine you do too, or perhaps maybe you yourself have a, an autoimmune disease. And if you're familiar with autoimmune diseases, you know that it's not just one area of your life that gets impacted when you're sick with an autoimmune disease. Right? Autoimmune disease is terrible. It, it will wreak havoc on multiple systems of your body. It, it wreaks havoc, in some cases, on, on your, a person's nervous system. And then on their digestive system. And of course, that then affects their mood, right? And, and, and then mental health. And sometimes literally it affects cognitive uh, function and muscular function. It's terrible. And to me, I, I, I liken in a sense of that's what sin does to us. If left unchecked and unrepented, it will wreak havoc in multiple systems. And it's curious to me that James adds that part to what he's been talking about. Because sometimes, even our physical ailments and even our mental suffering and our emotional state it is the direct result from our sin and from sinful decisions. Now, I have to put an asterisk on that statement because it's not always that case. And we have to be careful that we don't unnecessarily ascribe sickness or illness as though it's just the direct result of unrepentant sin in somebody's life. Remember, Job's friends made that mistake with him. In fact, the disciples made a similar mistake. They're walking with Jesus and they see this man who we're told was blind from birth. And when they see him, it creates this theological dialogue and they make the wrong assertion. When they ask the question to Jesus, this guy who's blind, is he that way because he sinned or his parents sinned? Because there was this wrong idea that if you weren't physically well, that automatically it meant then you 
were in some type of sin. And Jesus corrects their wrong theology. He says, neither. He didn't sin, nor did his parents sin, but that the glory of God would be manifested in this man's life. God allowed him to be that way in John chapter 9. And so not, it's not always the case. But there are times where it is. And we have to give attention to that. Because there are times where you and I and people, are, they are physically unwell. And the reason why they're physically unwell is because they're spiritually unwell. At the very least, it should prompt us to check our hearts. And again, we have examples of it. There is this account that both Mark and Luke describe for us. Jesus is teaching in this house and it's pretty crowded. And there's these guys who wanted to get their buddy to the Lord. And it was just packed out. The parking lot was full. All the donkeys, they couldn't get in. And so if you're familiar with the account, you know they become very creative. They climb up on the roof and they break the roof. They bust the roof to bring their friend to the Lord. Man, we need friends like that, don't we? And they bring their buddy to the Lord. And, and Jesus responds in two very curious ways. The, the first, and our time doesn't permit us to explore it, it says when he sees the faith of their friends, he marveled. And I'm encouraged by that. Because there's, it, it lets us know that God honors faith and sometimes... You know, we, we bring our friends and our family to the Lord and we're believing on their behalf that God will do something good and work in their life. And, and God, God honors that. But the second thing that's really curious to me, and it ties into what we're talking about, is he heals the guy. This man who's been paralyzed. But when he heals him, he doesn't just say, you're healed, why don't you get up and start running around, dude? He says, your sins are forgiven you. If you agree that Jesus knows our greatest need, and he says to this guy, your sins are forgiven you, and I would imagine you would agree that his greatest need, though he's paralyzed, was to be delivered, if you will, from his sins. And deliverance from his sin enabled him to get up and walk. See, there are times where our physical ailment is connected to our, our sinful state. I mean, very similar when Jesus goes to this place called Bethesda in John chapter 5, we read about all these people who are sick, and there's this one guy who he's been there for some 30, I think eight years, it says, and, and similar, right? he, he can't walk. Jesus heals this guy, tells him, hey, you're well. Grab your futon and get up and go for it. And later on, he, he meets these guys and they question him, right? The religious leaders, what are you doing carrying your futon? It's the Sabbath. Eventually, he makes his way to the temple and Jesus finds him again. And here's what the Lord says to him. Again, it's really curious. He says, you've been made well. Don't sin anymore. Because if you sin more, worse things will come upon you. And by inference, then, that means that his release, again, was connected to some sin and some sinful lifestyle that he was engaged in. 
And the Lord delivered him physically by forgiveness of his sin. Again, I, I think we know there are some lifestyles, there are some decisions that we can make towards the things that are not of God, that, that you know, sinful things that will damage our physical health, that will damage our emotional, mental, and relational health. Yesterday, Chris uh, Chapman shared his testimony with us at the guy's breakfast. And, and, he, <laughs> and he talked about how before he came to know the Lord, his life of sin, the things that he chose to do, drugs and alcohol, and how it, it wrecked his body. And it messed with his mind. And he almost, you know, his marriage was almost done. And how he came to understand the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God and how God restored him, delivered him physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how it translated then in relationally with him and his wife Deborah. At the end of our teaching this morning, we're going to have a time of communion. And one of the things that Paul encourages the believers, as we read in 1 Corinthians, to do, when they came to a time of communion, for that church, they had allowed it to become just something that God never intended. It became a casual thing. It became, uh, well, it was just corrupted. And so he writes to them to bring them back to center to say, listen, when you come to the Lord's table, we shouldn't come with a casual and flippant attitude. And then he writes again something really curious. He says, some of you, in fact, are weak and you're sick. And he uses this term, and some sleep. It's a euphemism for death. Because they weren't coming to the Lord's table with the right heart. Think about that. Some of you, he says, are weak and you're sick. It's manifesting in your life physically because spiritually you are not in the right place. If we harbor sin in our lives, it, it will infect and it will permeate and it will make its way out in so many different parts of our life. And if we're not careful, if we don't repent when God convicts us of that, it's, we put ourselves in a dangerous place. Remember the writer of Hebrews says, do not harden your hearts when you hear the voice of the Lord calling you to repent. And that word harden in the Greek, it's where we get the medical term cirrhosis. The hardening of our spirit, if you will. The calcifying uh, of, our, of our spiritual heart. And so what does James tells us? Very simply, he says, and if you've committed sins, adds to the equation, then we should pray. And guess what? You will be forgiven. You'll be forgiven. 1 John 1.9 is our spiritual soap. We've quoted a lot. And it's a great verse to memorize. It's a great verse to preach to yourself and practice. If we confess our sins, 
And confess really just means we see it as God sees it. We're not playing games anymore. We're not making excuses. We're not blaming somebody else. We see it as God sees it. We confess our sins. What does it say? God is faithful. God is just. The idea is that God loves you. God cares about you. That he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. And not of some unrighteousness, not of most, but of all. There's a part that we, we have to see it as God sees it and we acknowledge that. So confession is such an important part of our prayer life. It's such an important part of our, of our spiritual health. If we hold on to that stuff, it, it will re- wreak havoc in your life systems, if you will. Of course, along with confession, I'd add, is Repentance to take the action to turn away from that. And here's what that verse, when it says, and he will be forgiven, what that means is that God is always ready to forgive you. God is always wanting to reconcile you and me and to bring us to restoration of relationship. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But our intimacy and the closeness of relationship, sin does. It'll separate us from the fullness of what God wants for us. But the path to restoration, the path to reconciliation, it's always open. We confess and we turn from our sin. James adds to this, verse 16, confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another. And then he adds that you may be healed. So he offers this, he adds this to the equation, the discussion about sin and forgiveness and wellness. And this reminds us that when we are in sin, as I mentioned already, we, we also, we don't do well relationally. I've experienced that. I'll confess. Our unrepentant sin, you harbor that in your life, you hold on to that in your life, not only will it affect and impact your relationship, your personal well-being, it will also impact your interpersonal relationships. And often, that is the indicator warning light that uh, your walk with the Lord needs attention. Right When you're Words and your attitude and the way that you interact with other people around you, your spouse and your kids. When things start to go off, right, in that area, often it's an indicator for us to check where our heart is with the Lord. Because I know what happens to me. My flesh and my selfishness, my old nature, it comes out quick my cynicism, and my sharp tongue. Remember James, in one sense, this is one of the themes that he's been talking to this church about. Of how they are getting along at the words they say and the way they treat each other when they're under stress and when things are going difficult in their life. And they were guilty of mistreating one another. And so James calls them 
So something hard, it's something that we have to humble ourselves. Right? To confess our trespasses, it means then we're, we're making ourselves vulnerable. But it is a prescription for health. Our relational health. And here's what it means really plain and simply. Listen, if you and I have wronged somebody, we need to admit it. Don't play games. Don't make excuses. It's the idea that you own it. And there's no need to qualify it. Well, I wouldn't have done or said that if he or she didn't say that or do that. Listen, we apologize. We ask for forgiveness. He's already told us, don't grumble, don't complain, don't backbite, don't gossip, don't talk trash. But what are we to do? Keep our accounts short with each other. Confess our trespasses. Be in activity of praying for one another. Right, we, all, we all know, if you're a believer this morning, you already know that sin separates you from God. But sin will separate us from each other too. Relationships will strain and stress. They'll fracture. Sometimes, you know, we, it's as though we, we think, oh, it's okay, We're, we live within broken relationships. Now there are times where for our health we need to have healthy boundaries. And I'm not saying that there's not times where we love someone from afar. We've talked about that before. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to speak the truth in love, exercise forgiveness. The Bible says to bear with one another, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. And so personally, I, I, I have seen the wreckage that has happened with relationships and people within church and people around me. We've talked about this before, right? When, when we and they didn't just do what the scriptures outlined for us to do, and it's hurt and it's brokenness. So personally, I'm like, I, I don't want any of that. I, I try to keep a, a personal policy of just keeping my account short with people. The Bible says as, as best as we're able to try to be at peace with all people, and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do that. And it's in the context then of what God calls us to relationship, we get to exercise then this forgiveness and giving grace to somebody, giving them the benefit of doubt. It's hard, but it grows us. I love this quote, uh, author Henry Beach, excuse me, Henry Ward Beecher. He says that every person should keep a fair-sized cemetery for the faults of their friends. And the idea that, you know, we're human. And, and we're going to say dumb things sometimes. And we're going to say things we didn't mean to say. And we're going to do things that we didn't mean to do. Or sometimes we did mean to do it and we've hurt somebody. And, and we've been hurt and... We should bury that. That's the idea. To give and to receive forgiveness. 
That word trespass, confess your trespass, it's not the same word as sin in verse 15. The word in sin in verse 15, it's the, if you've been in church for a while, it's, a, it's the term harmatia. Right? It's missing the mark of perfection. This particular word in the Greek, it's the word paratama. And it means to fall down or to fail or to fault or to drop. And it's the idea that when we, we've dropped the ball with somebody, we failed them, we've stumbled and we, and we fell down, we let them down and, and now they're hurt, now they're disappointed, now they're, 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 they're suffering because of, of what we've done. And James says, listen, when you're in that place, take ownership of that. Confess that whether it's intentional or unintentional. We don't need to qualify it. We own it and we acknowledge it, are wrong, and we ask for forgiveness. That takes humility. That means you die to yourself. Here's a challenging question, you ready? And I say this in love. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? When was the last time that you just genuinely said, I'm sorry? See, I imagine for some of you, you're really good at making argument. And you're really good at deflecting. And you're really good at uh, placing responsibility elsewhere. But there are times where the Lord in his love just confronts us and says, hey, th you've got to take ownership of your part. And maybe even regardless of blame or guilt or, or culpability of the other party, what's your part? See, it, it's mine and your sinful pride that will keep us from experiencing really healing. That's what James says. Confess your faults to one another, pray for each other that you may be healed. Some of us are carrying on some unnecessary wounds. But the remedy is available. We just have to prescribe it. We just have to do it. This, this verse reminds us of something very important, and that is that God has called us to community and to relationships. I think I said it last Sunday and maybe two Sundays before that. Nobody's called to be a lone ranger in the body of Christ. We're called to community. And we're not always going to get along. God knows that. We're quirky. We have our idiosyncrasies. We have stuff that we're still trying to work out. We're misfits. If you, if you consider yourself a misfit, or you don't, you're in the perfect place. You fit with us, rest of us misfits. But it's in this thing called the body of Christ that God then uses our relationships to help grow us and strengthen us. We get to exercise our faith. What does it mean to spur each other on? What does it mean to forgive each other? What does it mean to bear each other's burdens? We, don't, we won't know that if we're just isolated ourselves or only watching online. It's here. Face to face and shoulder to shoulder. Genuine, honest relationships. 
And with that, I want to add, though he doesn't talk about it, but I think it's important. It's the idea of accountability. A person's making themselves accountable to somebody else. It's community with commitment. And I can say this in love as well. Uh, God wants us to be spiritually well. And one of the greatest ways that we can experience spiritual health is to be in a genuine relationship of accountability with somebody. Someone that loves you enough to say, says, hey, that's weird. Or you're in sin. To hold your feet to the fire. To help keep you in check. Again, we, we understand the value of that on, on almost every other arena of life. Right? Some of you will pay money to have a person yell and scream at you to lift weights, right? The kettlebell and, and, and battle ropes and all the other things. And some of us will, will pay money and give time for a, a mental health coach or a leadership coach or a community that will, be, you know, that will support and surround us. We, we understand the value of that, but how much more than in the body of Christ do we need that? Yet sometimes we give little regard to that. I'd like to challenge you, I'd like to encourage you this morning in love. If you don't have that kind of person in your life, find a person. Make that person. Reach out to someone and say, hey, will you pray with me? Will you meet with me? Will you help keep me on track? It's so, it's so good. It's so needed. He says, pray for another that you may be healed. Again, the idea is not only just we intercede for each other, that's important, but in context of confession, it's the idea of then forgiveness. How many of you know that forgiveness is powerful? Forgiveness is powerful. It can bring healing to a person's heart and life like nothing else. Of course, Jesus... The Lord has forgiven us. All of our stupidity. All of our sin. All the things that are known and unknown. God knows, God sees, and guess what? God still loves you and God's forgiven you. But what the Lord then calls us to do is then we then being recipients of forgiveness would be distributors of forgiveness. Jesus says in Mark 11, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, that's quite the superlatives, right? You hold anything against anyone. What does the Lord say? Forgive them. Forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. I think I mentioned earlier, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, we're to be compassionate and kind to one another, forgiving each other just as the Lord has forgiven us. And so what we discover by this verse is that our spiritual health is greatly impacted by our relationships, and it goes both ways. Our relationships can help us in our spiritual health. It's in that place that we exercise grace and mercy and forgiveness, as I mentioned before. Where our spiritual connection, and we get to experience healing. When you forgive, 
Not only do others experience healing, but you experience healing. I, I've shared with you guys before, uh, my dad and my stepdad, they were not good people. And there was a time in my life that I would say I hate my dad and I hated my stepdad because of what they did to my mom. And I, and I wish I could say, oh, just in one day, the Lord took it away. I, I appreciate Peter saying, should I forgive seven times? And Jesus says, seven times 70, right? The idea that it's a continual, it's a constant. Uh, every day in my life, I'd have to get up and say, Lord, okay, I, I, help me to forgive these two people who hurt me and my family greatly. But the day that the Lord took those things away was a day that experienced just tremendous healing to let it go. And my anger turned into pity. Just felt sorry. Realized those men didn't know the Lord. In fact, it turned into compassion or began to pray for them. That God would save them and God would heal them. It's a powerful thing, forgiveness. Maybe God's calling you to forgive somebody. Let that go. Receive the healing that God wants for you. And if they're still around, maybe, maybe the Lord will even lead you to reach out to that person. He adds that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's a curious verse to me. Why, why would he put that there? Wouldn't he put it earlier when he's talking about the elders? But I submit to you there's a progression of thought and, and, and what's the word I want to look for? A progression. Because when I read this, initially I think, oh, I've got to go find one. I've got to go find a, a righteous person that will pray for me because I'm, I'm not righteous. The reality is none of us are, right? If we're measuring our righteousness against the Lord. But here's why I submit that it's a progression. Because when we've confessed our sins before the Lord, when the Bible says then we'll be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness, we, we come back into a right standing with the Lord and we come back into a right standing in our relationships, it then enables us then to have a boldness to pray. That, that we experience a power in, in our prayer when there's purity in our private life. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee when no one's pursuing them. There's a part of me that relates to that because before I knew the Lord, uh, you know, I got in a lot of trouble, and so anytime I saw a police car, I'd get nervous. When I'm driving, all of a sudden the police car behind me, I'm like all nervous. That verse goes on to say, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And gang, there's something when you are just, you have your, you've come before the Lord, and you've confessed your sins, and you, you've received forgiveness, and you're walking in that place of purity, there's a dynamic of your prayer life. There's a dynamic of your boldness when you come before the Lord that's different.
entertaining sin and we're trying to hide these things. Prayers are feeble and they're frail. But when we confess, we receive forgiveness, we become that righteous person. With boldness to know that God hears our prayers when we pray, we believe Him, we trust Him, and there, there's earnesty there. There's not hesitancy because we know, oh, well, I'm in a place I shouldn't be, or I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, or my relationship with God isn't right. Remember, James already told us we shouldn't think that God, we're double minded. And then he concludes here in verse 17 and 18, he gives us this example of Elijah, which is kind of interesting to me. He just starts mentioning Elijah. But what, what, what does he bring our attention to? He brings our attention to the fact that Elijah was just a regular person, just like you and me. He had a nature like ours. What does that mean? He was human. He fought against his flesh. He wasn't a super prophet or a super follower of Christ. He, he had highs and he had lows. In fact, he had some low lows. His emotions got the best of him. He allowed fear to dictate his, his response. And the gap of time between when he prayed that it wouldn't rain and then when he prayed that it would rain, a bunch of stuff happened in that three and a half years. And one of those things that happened is he blew it. And I think that James uses him as an example to, to encourage us to say, listen, there's times where we're going to blow it too. But if we confess and we get right with the Lord, God hears us. God wants to pour out blessing upon our life. We haven't put ourselves in a permanent timeout with the Lord. You know the, the account of Elisha? It's really fascinating. One of, those, one of those low lows, after he did something amazing, right, he goes basically into kind of a, a depression. He has suicidal ideations. He, he's like, Lord, I'm done. Just take my life. And he sits down and he's just like, I'm done with this. I want to tap out of life, Lord. And the angel comes to him, and he gets rest. You know the account? The angel, the angel makes a cake. Angel cake in the Bible. right there. <laughs> and he gets up, he's restored, and he goes, but then he has another quiet time with the Lord. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do, maybe you've heard this before, right, is take a nap and eat cake. <laughs> Amen. But it's in that gap between when we first meet him, he's introduced, I think it's 1 Kings 17, Elijah the Tishbite, a prophet of the Lord, goes to evil King Ahab and says, it's not going to rain, at my word. He doesn't have a perfect record. He stumbles and he trips, he has these episodes, and yet he still prays at the end, and God says, okay, and then it rains again. And, Elijah, and James says, listen, we're just like that too. God wants to restore and redeem and, and we're just regular people. But when we're in a right relationship with the Lord, we, we'll pray in line with His heart. We'll pray in line with His purposes. And when we do, we too can experience the blessing of the Lord.
that God wants to pour out upon our lives. Church family, God loves you, loves you. And he wants us to experience spiritual health. He wants us to be spiritually well. And one of the ways that we can experience spiritual health is keeping our accounts short with the Lord. Confess and repent. Keeping our accounts short with each other. You've blown it, own it. Go say sorry. Don't make an excuse. Give and receive forgiveness. Allow your healing to take place. See, communion reminds us of this amazing gift. It reminds us of the cost of this gift. It was free to us, but it cost Jesus his life. And we're reminded that we can and should come with reverence and right hearts. And again, maybe some of you, you're in a place where you're unsettled mentally. You're unsettled emotionally. Maybe it's because you're unsettled spiritually. And today would be a day that you can come before the Lord, confess, and get right, and receive healing. The ushers are going to come. They're going to serve communion. The cup, as we've done in the past, the bread's on the bottom, the juice is on the top, so just be careful practically. The worship team's going to come and lead us in song. But as Paul told the Corinthians, let's, let's pray, we'll ask God to search our hearts that we're not going to come to the Lord's table in irreverence or stuff that, you know, maybe God just wants us to leave at the foot of the cross. Confess your sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we, we come before you and we do see our stupidity and our sin like you see it. We don't want to make excuse for it. We don't want to blame other people for it. But God, help us to be honest, that we'd own it, our part. Confess that to you now. The things we've said the places we've gone, where our eyes have taken us, our thoughts, our bad attitudes, our unforgiveness, our mean words, hiding. Lord, you see it all and you love us anyways. And so we acknowledge those things. And we want to not just only confess, but we want to repent that we turn from them, Lord. That we ourselves would experience healing and forgiveness. And God, help us to be obedient in our relationships. If there's things that we can do to make it right, but Lord, we would do that. Speak now, we pray, in our time of communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, I, I love you guys, and I do pray that you have an amazing rest of the day and week. All right, have a great day, guys.